Welcome to Strap On Your Boots. I'm your host, Jason Sherman. In today's episode, I have an award-winning global speaker with me, Steve Lowell. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Awesome. And today we're going to talk about how to speak differently in order to sell more. And I'm assuming that this is going to be, since you're a global speaker, is going to be more, you know, more about how to kind of position yourself in front of a crowd or how to kind of tell people a story versus pitching them bullet points. And uh, I want to first I want to find out like how you got into being a speaker in the first place, because that's not a typical title, right? Typically, you're an author or you're a professor or you're an accountant or something. So how do you become a speaker? Well, there's a million ways to become a speaker. But what happened with me is um, I started performing very young at the age of six. I was a musician, you know, a little skinny guy with huge glasses holding a guitar. I couldn't even reach over. And I started performing then. And then I went, you know, through the music thing. And I had a band until my early 20s. And then what happened was I came across a video by a guy named Zig Ziglar. And I watched this guy on speaking on the stage. And I thought, man, he's got no equipment. He's got no bandmates that he has to worry about. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's speaking to real people and not to a bunch of drunk people in a bar. I thought, I want to do that job. So I, I uh, took a course um, with a big company uh, about public speaking. And then I just, over time, I just became a professional speaker and a speaker coach and trainer. And one thing led to another. And that's, that's how I kind of got started into it. So if somebody is just starting out in a business or they're a startup, they're an entrepreneur, one of the main things they have to do is tell their story to attract either customers or investors or co-founders, right? They need to be able to explain their vision. What are, say, the top three things you would tell someone watching this or listening to tell the proper story or how to speak properly in order to kind of convey their vision? Right. And there's, I mean, again, that's a, a huge question, but I boil it down to these three points. Every story has basically, if you, if you boil it down to its most common elements, there are three. One is conflict. The second is decision. The third is discovery, conflict, decision, discovery. So what I teach people to do and what I do myself is I break every story down into those three components and I break it down to a single sentence at a time. And then I build from there. So I should be able to tell the story in three sentences. And then I build from there to fatten it up and put in some detail. So once I have the conflict, what exactly was the problem I needed to solve? The decision, what major decision did I make in order to solve the problem? And then a discovery, what did I learn after making that decision? And then once I craft that story, then what happens is we just say one or two sentences to make it business relevant to the audience. So it's like, you know, this is what happened to me. This is the decision I made. This is what happened at the end of it. And if you want to do the same, this is what you need to do. So that's the most basic form of, uh, of a story uh, if you're going to tell your own story. And like, let's, let's say we uh, let's, let's try to do like an example because I love sure. examples and my listeners do too. So uh, let's say that I came up with uh, new outfits for my dog, right? So my dog is 16 years old. So it's really hard for me to find clothing that is easy for him to put on. That's the problem, right? That's the conflict that I'm having. Uh, what would you say would be like the decision uh, that comes into play for the story to continue on with the story? Well, let me ask you. It's not for me to say. It's for you to say. Okay. So let's say this. So your conflict was you tried to put some clothes on your dog last year and you couldn't find anything that fit. There's your conflict. Single sentence. So what did you do? I had to create my own sweater for him like by cutting it and sewing it to make it fit him. There. So I decided to create my own sweater by cutting and fitting and making it and sewing it myself. So 
conflict. Last year, I tried to put something clothing on my dog and I couldn't find anything that fit. So I decided I was going to have to make my own. So I made my own. So now after you made your own, what happened? He was able to wear it. He was comfortable. Uh, he enjoyed it. And I realized that I would have to make my own clothes from now on or find someone that could make it for me. Okay, good. So now you got your discovery. So here's your story in one sentence at a time. Last year, I went to find some clothing for my dog. I couldn't find anything that would fit. So what I decided to do was to make my own. So I made my own and I've got some clothes now that my dog can be comfortable in. One sentence for conflict decision discovery, you have a story. Now, if you were telling that story, um, Jason, what would your advice be to somebody? What's the purpose of that story? Why are you telling me that? What, would, what do you want me to do? Well, maybe uh, there are other people like me that have pets that they can't find clothes for and they need something like that. They need a product or a service like that. And maybe you're an investor and you want to fund the business. And now I can hire people to make uh, more more products for pets, more more clothing for pets. Okay, so you are either telling this story to either get people to buy your clothes that you make for dogs or you're getting people to invest into your company. Yes? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So if you're speaking in front of potential buyers for the clothing that you've made, the story is the exact same thing. It just ends with that. So last year I tried to find some clothing for my dog. Couldn't find anything that fit. So I decided to make my own. After I made it, my dog now has comfortable clothing that he or she enjoys and is safe to wear. So if you want clothing that your pet's going to enjoy and is safe to wear, we should talk. That's if you're buying, if you're uh, speaking to seller to buyers. But if you're speaking to investors, you know, angel investors, let's say, uh, venture capitalists, whatever. So it's the same story. Last year, I tried to find some clothes for my dog. Couldn't find anything that fit. So I decided to make my own. Now my dog has clothing that that is uh, comfortable and that fits. And if you want to invest in a in a in a product that is growing and that has massive profit margin, we should talk. Very simple. It's a very simple technique. So uh, that's why you're saying, you know, a slight change in your speaking, basically, the way you manipulate the words, the, the way that you present them. It seems like a very simple tweak. What other kinds of simple tweaks or, or tricks do you have? Well, one of them that I, I, I teach with a lot of entrepreneurs, particularly and, and business, uh, in, you know, different levels of business is Here's this concept, you know, Jason, where when you talk to a lot of marketing people, branding people, you're going to hear the word differentiation. I say, you know, you have to differentiate. And what I found is you don't actually have to be different than anybody who does what you do. You just have to appear to be different from everybody else who does what you do. And I'll, I'll give you an example. What's, when I yeah, speak to audiences, I'm, I'm curious on what the difference, what, what the differentiator is between the two, actually. <laughs> I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you an example. Okay. So. When I speak to an audience, I'll often ask them this question. I'll say, um, put up your hand if you or somebody you know is in the market for a tennis instructor. You know what? I'm going to ask you, Jason, are, are you or is anybody you know in the market for a tennis instructor? Not personally, because everyone not I know, already, they already play tennis. So Yeah, cool. They already play tennis or you're not. And most people are not in the market for a tennis instructor. So I want to tell you about this guy named Brian. Brian, Steve. I'm getting all the calls. I'm just not getting the business that I need. And I said, well, Brian, what do you do? He says, I'm a tennis instructor. So we taught Brian how to change the way he speaks just a little bit. And if you saw Brian today and you were chatting with him, he says, so what do you do, Brian? He'd say something like this. He'd say, well, you know how sometimes kids have so much energy, they're bouncing off the walls and the parents get so frustrated because they have no idea what to do with these kids. 
He'd say, well, what I do is I take kids of any age. I bring them on a tennis court. I absolutely exhaust them and I hand them back to their parents. <laughs> well, let me ask you, Jason, do you know somebody who might maybe be in the market for a tennis? <laughs> yeah, right? a lot of single and, parents. <laughs> well, there you go, right? And so I do the same thing with a live audience. I ask them the question and everybody's hand goes up. And, and the point is this, it's just by changing the way you speak just a little bit, more selectively choosing your words and positioning them a certain way can mean the difference between I'm not interested and tell me more. Interesting. So it's more of like a perception. Like, so, you know, sure, people don't need a mechanic because they have bicycles. They don't have cars. Okay. But what about the mechanics? You know, they drive cars to and from work probably, and they probably fix a lot of cars. So maybe you got to tap into the people that are fixing the cars. Yeah. So it's, it's very interesting. So it's kind of like looking for the pain point and then seeking out the people that are, you know, affiliated with that pain point versus trying to sell to somebody else. So that's interesting. So how do you, you know, how do you find these pain points? Like what is it because like you just came up with one about the parents and the kids, but what if you don't know what those pain points are? How do you find them? Yeah. And this is the creativity piece. You know, this is, I think you did a session one time uh, on your podcast about this, something, a sacrifice of creativity. I think you did that. Yep. And, and so there's a sacrifice to creativity involved here because there's a process that, that I use that I created called deep thought strategy. And what it requires is this. It requires us to be able to acknowledge not only what I call the first level problem, which is the problem that our market recognizes and go past that into a second level problem, which is a problem that they might not necessarily know they have or a problem that they would not associate with you. So this is what we did with Brian, the tennis instructor. People wouldn't generally associate uncontrollable kids with playing tennis. So we bridge the gap between the two. And so this, is, this would be sort of the sacrifice of, of the creativity, kind of like what you were talking about, is we need to detach from that which we think we already know, and we need to go deeper into our markets and our clients' condition than we used to, deeper than even they do. And we need to find a problem that either they were unaware they even had or a problem they know they have but never associated with you. Or sounds, what you like the, sounds like the Steve Jobs effect. You know, he uh, famously invented the iPhone with his team, of course, but he invented it not because it was this uh, disruptive product, but it was because he said people don't even know they need this thing. But once they That's find it. out that how useful it is, they'll realize. So like it's kind of like telling people, look, you need this thing, whatever it is, uh, you don't know what it is, or you don't know that you need it. But once you have it in your hand, and you use it, you're not going to be able to live without it. And look at us now, everyone's got an iPhone in their hand, right? Or a smartphone. So right. let's, let's go back in time a little bit to when you first spoke in front of a crowd, because like I've spoken in front of 1000s of people over the years, it can be nerve wracking. It can be, you know, very, you know, the pressure, all the eyes, everybody's on you. Everyone's looking at you. If you, if you make mistakes or you forget what you're going to say or, or your presentation isn't that exciting. And what are the things you learned from when you first were a speaker? And, and what was the experience like when you were young and speaking in front of, uh, you know, a whole crowd of people? What was it like? I'll tell you about my very first professional speaking gig. I was maybe 22, something like that. Wow. And, and I was speaking in front of uh, an association, 
And at the front on the stage, they had this big table where everybody had dinner, uh, you know, and I was at the head table because I was the guest speaker. And I got in there and I sat down and I looked around the room and I noticed two very interesting things. Number one is I noticed that the audience of about 200 people was all men. There wasn't a woman in the audience. And the other thing I noticed is that they were all really, really old. And and I asked the host who was sitting beside me, I said, what's the average age in this group? 86 was Jesus. the average age. Now, that wouldn't have been so bad, Jason, if it weren't for my topic. Goal oh, no. setting. Goal, Goal setting. <laughs> so, and so I'm, I'm trying to think, I got to come up with a new topic. But before I knew it, I was being introduced. So I went up to the mic and I had to do what I had planned, right? And so my, my squeaky little voice, I said, you know, put up your hand if you have clearly defined goals for your life. And this one old guy sitting in the table right in front of the stage who had a big booming voice, he says, my goal is to not die before the end of this presentation. And oh this is my how God. I launched <laughs> my professional speaking career. And so there is a myriad lessons that we learn. Uh, and again, this is, I, I love that session you did, you know, about the sacrifices of creativity, because as, you know, in, as business people, whether we speak or not, at, at some point, it's always good to be able to speak about your business, your solution, or your products or services. And there's a risk associated to that. There's a sacrifice associated to that. And part of the sacrifice could be if you're not ready to take that stage, if you don't have the skills you need or the content you need, the sacrifice could be your reputation. I mean, is it, or is, is it maybe possible that if you're in a situation like that, that you have to pivot and, and maybe change your presentation on the fly and literally make it up as you go along? Absolutely. And, and that happens sometimes. I mean, as you know, as a professional speaker now, I can do that if I have to, but I know what to do to prevent those things from happening to the best, uh, my, you know, to the highest degree possible. But that happens sometimes. And, and you do have to think on the fly. You know, I'll, I remember one time I got called out onto the stage. I was, uh, you know, uh, a keynote speaker and I got introduced. I walked out onto the stage and a lot of these conferences, the stages are a bunch of pieces kind of put together, right? And usually if they're on wheels, they lock the wheels. Well, I walked out onto the stage and I stepped right on the crack in the middle of the stage between the two pieces and they hadn't locked the wheels. And so the stage literally separated. My foot went right through the crack. Oh my and so God. I'm standing there and I hadn't even said a word yet. And my foot is down through the crack, right? So what are you going to do? So I was very fortunate. What just sort of descended out of the ether was, don't mind me. It's just a stage I'm going through. And of course, everybody laughed. And, and so you got to make a joke. You got to make a joke out of it. Get composure. But what, what I've learned is when you're on the platform, no matter what happens, we need to learn to, to treat it as if it's exactly what was supposed to happen. Yeah. Because they, they don't know, right? That's something that I learned is when you're making a presentation and you mess up or you forget something and you keep going, they don't know. Mm -hmm. They don't know that you messed up. They think it's whatever mistake you made or joke you make or whatever thing you did. That was part of the whole deal, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So, Steve, this was fantastic. I'd love to know uh, more about where people can find you or if you have anything that you want to uh, tell our audience or anything you want to offer people. Now's your chance. 
Yeah, just go to my website, Steve at Steve or uh, SteveLowell.com. Uh, I got some evergreen webinars there, and there's some books, and there's some courses, and um, you know, uh, you poke around there. There's some good resources there, and if there's something you like, then you know, go ahead and and, uh, and grab it. And a couple of the webinars there are free. You can just join them and learn how to think you know, things like how to find speaking gigs and how to sell more books and all of those important things, and they're all there. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. Hope everyone enjoyed this. And as always, we will see you in next week's episode. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you learned something today, please support this podcast by subscribing to it, sharing it with your friends, and leaving a five-star review. You can learn more about me at jasonsherman.org, where you'll find information about my book, also called Strap on Your Boots, available on Amazon, as well as my course called Startup Essentials on Udemy or Skillshare. I'll see you in next week's episode.